Are you tired of losing sales? Do you wish you had proven strategies that would help you increase your sales today, not in three months? You could Google it, but Google is in the information business. And I am in the transformation business. Welcome, Welcome. to the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast, where we will share three actionable sales strategies that you can implement in your business today to increase your sales tomorrow. This includes tactics, tips, and techniques from industry experts, influencers, and sales pros to help you shorten your learning curve and increase your bottom line. The more sales strategies we simplify for you, the shorter your sales cycle and the more money in the bank. Now your host, 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 multi-award-winning sales expert and international speaker, Wesleyan Greer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, our guest is Jeff Behrens. How are you, Jeff? I am well. Thank you so much for being here. Jeff is a serial biotech entrepreneur. He's currently CEO of Gelmedics, which is an ophthalmology startup based on work from Mass Eye and Ear and UCLA. He's also the founder and CEO of Lab Shears Newton, which is a biotech incubator for biotech startups run by biotech entrepreneurs. Formerly, Jeff was president and CEO of CMAP? Cyamab. There we go. Cyamab Therapeutics, which was a biotech company focused on developing antibodies targeting glycan targets in cancer. And he exited in 2019. Jeff has a PhD from EPFL in Switzerland, a master's from Harvard, MIT Division of Health Science, and an MBA from MIT. He graduated from Harvard College. He also teaches HST 590, a PhD level course at MIT and lives in Newton, Massachusetts. So you're very smart. That's one thing that I know. <laughs> well, uh, but that, how about just over, over-educated maybe? <laughs> a very smart entrepreneur. That's what I would say. So tell us, how did you get into the position that you're in today, Jeff? Well, it's been a bit of a securitist route. In college, I was pretty sure I'd never do two things. I'd never be in business and I'd never be involved in healthcare. And so somehow I'm doing both. Um, after college, I fell into the IT business and built a healthcare-focused IT company called the Telluride Group. Did a lot of sales issues there in, in sort of service selling, consultative selling. And then we sold that company now, gosh, 18 years ago. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I went back to school uh, where some of that additional schooling happened to make a switch hard into the biotech world. And then I worked in industry for about eight years and then took over Siamab back uh, in 2012. And during the biotech life, you know, you're not really selling in the same way. You're raising money a lot, which is a different kind of selling, selling yourself mm-hmm. to investors and also to partners. And ultimately, we sold a couple of our drugs to some big pharma companies. So um, that's a high level summary of how I got here. So I want you to talk a little bit more about what you mentioned in pharma and biotech. You know, you're not necessarily selling your product immediately. You're selling to investors and venture capitalists. So tell us how did you enjoy that? Some of the the tricks of the trade that you have there. Sure. Well, you know, to step back a little bit there, you know, I teach PhD students at MIT who are science students, you know, to be, they're going to either become academics or they might become entrepreneurial biotech people themselves. And one of the messages I, that I've learned and I try to transmit is that sort of 
most successful people, as far as I can tell, are in a sales mode, a significant portion of their time, whether or not their title has anything to do with sales. And so, for example, a scientist that's running a lab at MIT is, in fact, selling all the time. They're selling their scientific ideas. They're trying to get publications, so they have to sell their idea to a, a journal. They're trying to get grants, so they're selling their ideas, their research, their vision to funders, the NIH, to other scientists. We're doing this all the time in the sciences, even before a company is formed. And then once you form a company, often based off of great research coming out of an academic institution. So I'm working on a company called Gelmedics coming out of Mass Eye and Ear. We're trying to find a better way to give drugs to the eye so patients don't have to deal with the hassle of eye drops. And patients aren't very good at that. Well, there's really good research on this. And my job, as, or part of my job, is to convince investors to give us a lot of money because it's expensive to develop drugs. We raised a million dollars this summer. Uh, we need to raise lots more. And uh, so we're out telling a scientific story. We're out telling a business story and a risk return story. So it's a, um, a different kind of, of, of selling than I did at my old job, but critical for sure. So tell me, because a lot of times people who are, you know, scientists or engineers or they're very technical, they have a problem really how to sell or even that mindset shift. So what are some tips that you can give people who may be at early in their sales career or they're trying to become a better salesperson to work on that mind shift? Well, I think from a scientist point of view, I think one of the challenges is you're so deep in your science. You know it so well that you know it too well. Right. So you can over focus on what we might have called features and benefits in the past, a scientific story. And scientists, I think, sometimes will struggle to understand who they're talking to, who they're selling to, who their audience is. So I think one piece of advice is to really think hard about who's the consumer of the information. What do you want them to do with the information? What are your goals in that interaction? And where are they at? You know, what is their level of understanding? What is their level of need for detail? Some investors I deal with want to do deep technical dives. Mm -hmm. Other investors I deal with want to get a very high level and then want to really understand the business side of it. And being uh, aware of what do they need to feel good and what sort of both conscious and more subtle messages do they need to hear is a key part of this. Mm. So I know that typically if an investor who wants to really understand the technical aspects of, you know, the business, that's easy, right? But how, how do you distinguish between what kind of investor you're dealing with and how do you really balance giving them enough of the technical information, but also ensuring that they have that business knowledge needed? So, you know, I think if we think of the process of raising money for a, a biotech as a multi-step sales process. It's not a one and done. It's not just dialing for dollars, right? It's, okay. it's setting up a first intro call. So it's getting introductions at a high level. It's getting credibility to give it a first pitch. And so having a generic you know, story that's short. I mean, another theme to step back for a second, I really believe in in selling is you want to be listening more than talking. You want to be asking more than answering. And if you're delivering a scientific story, you're not doing that. So you've got to shorten that story way down, get mm -hmm. enough out to give some, and then listen. You know, what are the questions that the investor is asking? And a lot of those are going to be, oh, you want to do a deep dive? Let's set up a second call with your diligence team and our scientists, and let's do that later. We can definitely do that. We're going to need a full hour for that, or we're going to need five hours for that. Oh, you want to hear about the commercialization part of the story? You know, so it's listening to those questions as quickly as possible. So in an hour first pitch, if I can get the slide deck to 20 minutes or less, so I can really have the time to go back to listening and asking versus uh, lecturing. That's really helpful. 
So, you know, it's amazing. I've never gone out for funding for a biotech company or gone, you know, to speak to investors, but everything you said, it sounds literally like the classic sales process, right? So listening more than talking, not dumping everything into that initial meeting, just because an investor said, yeah, I'll talk to you, doesn't mean that you vomit <laughs> everything that you know of them in that first 20 or 30 minute meeting. That's amazing. And, you know, I think there's so many good analogies. Maybe together we should write this up or something. But, you know, I think, for example, I believe people only buy for emotional reasons. They buy to reduce stress. They buy to solve a problem. But particularly in the sciences, we all think we're doing buying and selling based on hard data mm -hmm. and facts. Well, the reality in science businesses is incredible risk. There's incredible uncertainty. And so we can share all this scientific data and we can share all this information. But when you develop a drug, you know, you just don't know if it's going to work. You don't even know if it's going to work in a mouse, much less a person. And, you, <laughs> and it may take $10 million to figure that out or $20 million in five years. Now, if it works in the person, it could be worth a lot of money and you could save lives. So, you know, even though there's a lot of science and rationality around it, I think the buying process, in this case, the investing process has so much of an emotional, do you mm -hmm. trust the people? Uh, do they trust you? Do we have mutual trust? Do we build a relationship? Do we have credibility? Because if there's huge scientific risk, investors want to reduce other kinds of risk, management risk, credibility risk. They want to make sure the team is really solid. So how do you generate confidence and all those other things you can control? So the one thing that's hardest to control is scientific risk. You can't really fix. Uh, mm. So, you know, it's building that relationship and understanding those emotional, what are you worried about as an investor? What scares you the most? How have you lost money before? These are questions I can't ask, but I can listen for, and I can mm. try to figure out through the course of that conversation. So really, it's all about active listening and listening to what they're not saying as much as what they are saying. So I want to transition a bit. So you said that, you know, a lot of what you do today has to do with um, getting investor money. But you spoke about a company that you worked with previously where you actually transitioned from getting money from investors to actually commercializing a product. So let's talk about that transition. So when you started commercializing the product? Did you build a sales team? Did you do it with the team you had? Help us understand for those who are kind of in the early stages or those who are struggling to get their product to market, um, some tips or, or how that process worked for you. Sure. So my first company, the Telluride Group, was a technology IT company uh, in the service side. This is back in the 90s when a model of what's called managed services was being born, where we would productify services. We would take hourly consulting and turn it into a retainer, turn it into a monthly service agreement, an annual agreement. And those cells were um, consultative. Um, we were going into companies, typically small and mid-sized companies, and offering to unload all their IT stress and mm. take over IT and make those problems go away and do it on a long-term basis. So it was very much consultative sell. And for the first several years of the company, and I was alone initially, so I was doing all the selling. And then I hired a couple of people to do implementation, but I was still selling. And all the way through the life of the company, I led the sales effort and worked very hard with mixed success, frankly, to build a group of, you know, as we got to 25, 30 people, I had some senior consultants who were leading, running accounts and kind of managing relationships that I had set up. And several of those were able to be mentored into a much more of a sales type role over time. They're techies, they were computer people, but they were very good with people. They were very good with management. And, you know, initially selling would be things like dealing with sales issues with existing accounts. So it's sort of like a, an account management role, annual reviews, annual updates. And that was sort of how they started to build those muscles. 
and then going out together on new calls and getting them watching my process, being the expert in the room, and then over time having them switch that role so they could start to run the process and I could be the expert in the room. And that was a, it was a long process, but it was really mentoring consultants to learn how to do consultative selling. Hmm. And you know, one thing that I really picked up on is um, you said when you went to market, you went to market and what essentially you weren't selling your, your managed IT services, what you were doing was reducing stress, right? And I think a lot of people miss that. It's not really about your product. It's more about how am I helping the actual consumer? What am I doing to help them? And then the fact that you took people who knew the business and you taught them how to sell and you really mentored them and you showed them, okay, this is how I do it. You guys watch me. Okay, now you do it and I, I'll watch you. I think that that is really the key and that's what's missing in a lot of sales organizations today. No, I agree. I mean, I think the ability to go into and, you know, back in those days, go into these accounts and, and really that was very much listening. You know, we try to give our summary pitch in five minutes and spend 55 minutes asking questions. You know, how is IT going for you? What do you do as a company? How does IT matter? You know, what's working? What's not? What drives you crazy? What are you worried about? You know, we were in this business over the Y2K, which is probably before you were even born or something. But, you know, people were terrified that, you know, everything was going to blow up on, on yeah. 2000 because of some computer bugs. You know, are you worried about that? Are you worried about IT security? Are you, what scares you? Why are you having us in here in the first place? And how can we help? And, and just listening and listening and listening and saying, okay, I think I get it. This is what I'm hearing. Let's come back and have a second meeting. And we'll try to suggest some ways we might help address some of those concerns. So not a lot about our skills and capabilities and features and benefits and team and technology and more about, you know, what do you need and can we help meet your needs? So maybe we can. If we can't, we'll help you find somebody maybe that can be better. Mm, I love that. And so really a lot of people hear consultative selling and it's like a, a buzzword now. But to me, consultative selling really goes back to being a consultant, right? Being the person's consultant. And sometimes you're not what they need. And you say, you know, I thank you for the opportunity. Here are some people I can refer you to or other things you can try, but this is not a good fit for you right now. So Absolutely. tell me about a, a salesperson or a instance where a great success story. So either an account that was hard to close or a salesperson that everybody had written off um, and you were really able to, to turn them around or turn the account around. So. I mean, you know, one example, this is an early one, as we were growing the company, the technology company, you know, we got to five or six or seven people. We were still doing pretty small accounts. And I think there were times when, when there was one particular time with an insurance company that we got into a, a company that was probably eight to 10 times larger than we'd ever done before. It was a much larger account, much more difficult, much more challenging. And you know, I, we went in there with, you know, I went in with two of my top consultants who ultimately became these kind of salesy um, uh, account managers, but this was early in that process. And we listened and heard all sorts of problems, just this enormous, scary thing. So I guess in one hand, it was a great opportunity. And we came back and we were sort of half terrified. You know, can we even handle this? Can we deliver this? And then if we think we can, can we sell them on it? And so we sort of did a team, you know, uh, just face to face. Can we do this? We decide we're going to give it a shot. We put together a very ambitious plan. I said, we thought, if we're going to do this, we need to do it right. We need to, we need to hit it out of the park. We need to really make this work. We need to, you know, make an expensive, not because it's expensive, make a comprehensive proposal. And even if it's expensive, that's okay. And then go in there and say, we can do this. 
And so we sort of did a lot of homework. We really, really worked. Um, so very much consultative um, and went back several times. Okay, I said, we think we can do this. We admit it's a bit of a stretch for us, but we think we've got the, the muscles to pull it off. We've got the people. We're totally committed. And um, and we could, and this is a CFO who was very conservative, but how, somehow he liked us. I think he liked the gumption. He liked that we were listening and, and, and doing all these things early on. And so he took a bet on us and it became our largest account for the next three years and transformed the company completely. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure it was solving a problem of our own, but sort of it was taking a, a step in the growth of our company and our sales process. Yeah. And I think so many times people are scared to get out of their comfort zone, right? Because it's like, I know what I know and I know what I know well. Um, but like you said, this was a, a big account. And it was like, I kind of know this, but eh, right. I don't know. Yeah. Right. And you guys really worked and you were instrumental in really helping that customer see the value and they became a long-term customer. So I think the, the big aha or takeaway for the audience is don't be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone, right? Don't be afraid to go after bigger clients or clients that are in different industries because you never know what's going to happen. And I, and I usually say, all I can say is no. I mean, if they say no, just go knock on another door, <laughs> right? Just Absolutely. knock on another Absolutely. door. And I think also in this consultative approach, we'll try this, but we'll also do our homework. You know, we're, we're not going to just take a risk without really thinking. We're going to really take a very studied, thoughtful risk. And the very process that we went through of making sure we were confident created confidence in them. And so it was a mm -hmm. very um, positive um, process all the way through. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I want to ask you, what is the single best piece of advice that you have ever given a salesperson or a sales manager? I think it's the obvious stuff, you know, listen more than talk. Listen more than talk. I'd say I'd leave it with that. Listen more than talk. I think that is amazing. And Jeff, if people want to get in contact with you, what is the best way to connect with you on social media? Um, my LinkedIn, Jeff Barron's, or just email is fine. You know, I don't do a lot of, I'm old enough that I'm only a beginner in social media. Um, but LinkedIn, Jeff Barron's at LabShares or Jeff at LabShares.com is fine. Okay. Jeff at LabShares.com and his email as well as his LinkedIn will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jeff, for really expanding our knowledge base and giving us an entry into the biotech world, um, into early stage startups, as well as your previous experience in the technology world. It was my pleasure. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. And that was another episode of Snack Size Sales Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and review. We'll see you next time. And remember, in everything that you do, transform your sales. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.